Welcome to the first Best Nurse Podcast, where each month we share information for and about Atrium Health Nurses. Welcome everyone. Uh, This is our first Best Podcast put out by Atrium Health. This episode is entitled Health, Hope, Healing for All, a conversation with our nursing teammates of color. It's an exciting title and it's going to be an exciting podcast. Um, Let's go ahead and start out with some introductions. Hey, thanks, Megan. This is Carmen, and we have the privilege of having a phenomenal panel um, today on our podcast. And uh, because we have a lot, we we decided to just do a quick introduction of each person. But as we go through the conversation today, please feel free to elaborate on, on, on your roles and your jobs here within Atrium Health. So first, um, our first panelist here is Whitney Moore. She is a nurse manager in the Breast um, Oncology Center here at Levine Cancer Institute. We also have uh, Diamond Satin Williams. She is the Director of Clinical Care Management here with Ambulatory Care Management at Atrium Health. Thirdly, we have on our panel today is Akira Kirk. She is a nursing education instructor with our ambulatory clinical education and orientation team here in the medical group at Atrium Health. And we also have Dr. Jackie Apollo. She's our Vice President of Nursing, Talent Acquisition and Strategy. And she also serves as our nursing HR partner here at Atrium Health. What a great group. (laughs) We are among greats, aren't we? Simone Evans-Allison, she works in quality and she is an outcome specialist for nursing services. Welcome, Simone. Next, we've got Sedone Brown. Sedone Brown comes from CMC Maine in the Neuroscience Division. She's an AVP in Patient Care Services and also as the chair for the Central Division Diversity and Inclusion Council. And then we have Rashida Hicks. I know Rashida Hicks well because she's in my PEDS team with the resource team. Uh, You may have recognized her from People Connect. She was recognized for her being one of the first to deploy uh, when we did the redeployment with COVID. And then lastly, we've got Sheika Berenger. And Sheika works at CMC on 9T Neuro Unit, and she is a clinical nurse leader. Stephanie? Thank you, Megan. This is Stephanie with the resource team, and I'll introduce our remaining panelists. I have the pleasure to introduce Latasha Bielin. Latasha is a clinical nurse specialist with Atrium Health Mercy. And we have Shaka McCoy. Shaka is a clinical supervisor at CMC in the 3K short stay ED observation unit. And as I like to call him a resource team ambassador because he came from the resource team before that position. So we do have quite the esteemed panel with us today and I'm looking forward to some really uh, thoughtful, poignant conversation. Carmen, why don't you lead us into what we're gonna discuss today? Today is a really special episode. Um, As Megan mentioned, our episode topic is Health, Hope, and Healing for All, a conversation with our nursing teammates of color. And I think before we really get started on our conversation today, we really need to kind of level set about, you know, really what's bringing us to the table, what's bringing us to having this conversation together. So I'm just going to reflect back on a few things that I wrote that I believe and hope that we can 
have a really uh, a good, comfortable conversation, meaningful, valuable conversation today, and hopefully come out with some actionable next steps as teammates of color here at Atrium Hope. So for centuries, African-Americans and people of color have faced many biases, including social economics, disparities in health care and access to health, as well as depressed economic mobility. The recent killing of Mr. George Floyd by law enforcement is yet another example of the careless behaviors and reactions that African-Americans continue to encounter over and over every year. On May 25th, a 911 call was made by a store employee to report that Mr. Floyd purchased cigarettes with a counterfeit $20 bill. Several minutes after the first squad car arrived at the scene, Mr. Floyd was unconscious and pinned beneath three police officers, showing no signs of life. Videos taken by bystanders surfaced across the news media, news media outlets. Those videos showed police officers taking several actions that violated departmental policies and eventually turning fatal and leaving Mr. Floyd unable to breathe. Even as him and onlookers called out for help, the words cried out by Mr. Floyd, I can't breathe, could be heard by many. It has now become a symbol and rallying cry for protesters across the world. Additionally, we have seen companies and organizations, including Atrium Health, boldly express their support and solidarity against racism and inequality and challenging everyone to speak up and begin conversations so that everyone can learn and understand what it will take for us to move our country and community in a unified direction. So we all are here today to reflect on that. And we have some questions that we want to bring forward to this group um, of teammates and just really get your reactions from it and from there have a conversation. So my first question to the group, and we'll start with Ms. Akira Kirk. How has these recent events, recent events affected you personally? Thank you, Carmen. Um, the current events in our country has truly resurfaced and magnified um, some of the painful experiences that I have had as a nurse of color. Those, those experiences, they happen all the time. And throughout my career, I found myself just kind of suppressing and suppressing and suppressing until recently, you know, now it's, it's like, it's magnified and it's, it's very painful. The beauty in it is that it has allowed me to find the courage and the bravery to speak up and to use platforms like this, to, to use my voice, to educate and to advocate and just to bring awareness um, and which is completely out of my comfort zone, but in the pain came bravery. Um, so I'm, I'm thankful for this opportunity just to tell of my experiences and to um, 
and to just help with the cause in any way is the the issues are huge. I mean, it goes way beyond police brutality. And the question I ask myself, you know, in, in these moments is, sure, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do? You're one person. But I think that using platforms like this um, is the first step. So I thank you for the invitation. Rashida, do you want to comment on that question? How has the recent events impacted you personally? Um, yes. So I would say that the recent events have um, impacted me personally in a way that it's, it's I almost feel like um, like when I go out in public, like people are looking at me like what, you know, am I going to say something? How am I going to react? Same thing at work. Like, you know, a lot of times I may be the only black person working. So, you know, are, it's it's is someone waiting for me to say something? Do they want to say something? And then like, um, it's, it just gets kind of awkward because I, I don't feel like, um, you know, work is the place to discuss the issues, but when they're just right in your face, it becomes hard to not discuss it. Um, but then you, I don't want to offend anyone or, um, you know, make anyone feel like, you know, I'm playing victim or anything like that. So it just, it just becomes, it just, kind of makes me feel like I'm just like standing out. So I think that's the main way that it's affected me, especially in my professional life. I think a lot of us can relate to that um, feeling of not wanting to say anything wrong or, or sensitive. That's something I think everybody is struggling with right now. And sometimes in the in that fear, they just don't say anything. So I'm, I'm really grateful you guys are all here today. Shaka, what do you, what would you like to contribute? I, I would like to say that 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 is the the biggest challenge is, is to is to to find a way to, to speak on this in an articulated and and complete way, and that, that's part of what we're trying to do here. But it takes it takes a it takes a first step, and examining that that situation that triggered all of these events yet again. Um, I know that we had the same same uh, police brutality situation going on in 2016 in in this very city that still affected very little and 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 this civil disobedience in response to George Floyd seems to have affected quite a bit that for for the for this the destruction that occurred um, as as part of it at least there was some good outcomes in terms of police reform and things like that and and, and getting that conversation ignited is is one of the challenges that we're going to overcome with this. Jackie? Yeah, so for me um, personally, I think what I can say is that this event aroused a lot of emotions in me, from the sadness to anxiety, restlessness, um, confusion, and frankly, a lot of anger, you know, I don't think I've ever been this angry. You know, these incidences have happened many times over the years. And yes, we've been angry. But this time around, I feel like I was just enraged and my blood was boiling over. And partly it's because of just this image that I cannot get off of my mind of this police officer resting his knee on Mr. George Floyd's neck. And this casual acceptance, like, you know, he just felt like he could do it, even when everyone was recording it. You know, typically when these things happen, 
sometimes the video is not there or sometimes there's a, a you know a tussle here and there and they're able to argue and say oh we felt threatened and that's why we did what we did but in this particular case george floyd was not a threat anymore but yet this police officer felt that he could do it in broad daylight with everyone watching so i felt a lot of anger and I feel like George Floyd's situation just opened my eyes to the harsh reality of what people of color face um, every day. And just like Shaka was saying, I feel um, like it's different. It's a different time. The response is going to be different this time. And for me personally, I can say that I will no longer be silent. You know, in the past, yeah. I heard, you know, these things happened. I was sad. I cried. I shared with my friends. But I feel like now I have courage. You know, Akira talked about courage. I feel like I now have courage to lend my voice to the conversation, however small uh, my contribution may be. But I want to be part of the conversations. I want to be part of the solutions. And um, I hope that it will inspire others to do just as well. Thank you for sharing, um, Dr. Apollo. I know that in your notes you talked about how you were an immigrant um, to the United States. So and how your eyes have been further open. Um, is, is there a, a, what's your experience as an immigrant? I mean, um, coming from Kenya, you know, how, how is race, is, is racism there? If it is like, what, is, is it the same that you see here in the United States or is it, a, it, it tell, tell us about your, that personal immigration reflection. Yeah, I mean, um... As an immigrant from Kenya, I will say, really, I didn't know about racism until I came to the US. I mean, I knew of it, I read about it, but I didn't experience it just because Kenya is a very homogeneous society. Most of us yeah. are black. And I yeah. never thought about the color of my skin. I didn't, I knew I was black, but I didn't think it mattered, so to speak, until I came to the US and it became clear whether it was in my academic pursuits, whether it was in my professional experience, in my interactions and in social circles, it became clear that my, the color of my skin mattered. Now, while I haven't experienced such painful experiences as we've seen play out in this recent past months, I can honestly attribute a lot of my, some of my experiences to racism, you know, whether it was being passed off for promotion, whether it was being questioned, whether the paper you wrote, did you really write it, you know? Uh, why do you speak so eloquently? You know, um, you speak, you, you sound different, as though I wasn't supposed to be that. You know, yeah. so there was this whole notion of you're different, you're other, you really kind of don't belong here. But you know, so that was always a constant, and there was many times when I would be the only black person in the room um, or in the CVICU. I would be in charge, and the patients or the family members would want to talk to the chart nurse, yes. and the chart nurse mm -hmm. would be me. And they would almost look at me like, no, we don't want to talk to you. We want to talk to the person above you, you know? And yep. so it's those, yep. it's those um, subtle ways that, you know, with time you begin to realize that this is what racism is, you know? Uh, as I was going through them, I just thought it was part of my experience. But as I sat back and looked back, it was very clear that I was being questioned because of the color of my skin. It wasn't because of my experiences or my you know, by merit, because I had earned being a nurse or in the space, but it was more like, you really shouldn't be here. You shouldn't be the one in charge. You shouldn't be the one asking those questions. So in that regard, 
um, it, you know, it's been quite eye-opening. I can certainly say that uh, while my experience has been, I've had some painful experiences, I almost cannot also relate to the African-American experience. So while I am Black and I share in the pain, I know that I'm reaping the benefits of what a lot of African-Americans fought for, for me to be able to enjoy this freedom that I get to enjoy here in the United States. And I no longer want to take that lightly or take it for granted. I feel like I want to be a part of this bigger voice to really address the issues that affect Blacks all around, and not just Blacks, minorities in general. Yep. Of course, there's other groups that are left out as well. Um, this is not just about the Black experience. Of course, right now, that's where the focus is. But it's really more about the systemic issues that impact the human race across the board. And hopefully this conversation will help propel the dialogue to address, you know, a lot of the issues affecting different groups across uh, the nation and the world as such. Thank you for sharing that insight. I think that's really important for people to understand the perspective from the immigrant standpoint. So thank you so much for that. Simone or, or Damon or uh, Sidone, what, what tell us how uh, these recent events or the last several weeks impacted you personally? Um, this is Sidone, I would say definitely personally. You know, there's always, um, as a person of color, this certain level of anxiety and fear that you feel, especially with all of the events that happens, um, you know, throughout our history. Um, I think specifically with this, it, it really has increased that. You know, you you really are concerned about the men in your lives, your husband, your, your brother, um, your nephew, you know, all of those that are impacted by this. I think one of the key things is, is re-watching that video of George Floyd. And, you know, I always believe that the eyes are the windows to your soul. And when I looked at his eyes, there was just no sense that that police officer, no um, sense of remorse. And so, you know, to know that, again, this was being recorded and there was no sense of remorse of what was taking place, just really, you know, for me was profound in how much his life to that officer did not matter. And how, again, you know, this is a pivotal point in all our history where we can no longer stay silent about those events. And it's an opportunity to really, you know, stand up for the change that we would like to see. And so again, for me, it, it, it's a, a wake up call. I, I get caught in situations where you know, as a leader, you're expected to have all the answers, you're expected to have it all together. And um, to a certain degree, you, you're vulnerable as well and understanding that and, and being that, that voice and advocate for, you know, people that are hurting at this point. And so I am honored to be a part of this podcast and to see that, you know, I, I feel all of us that are represented on this panel are, are paving our way in history that we're not staying silent and we're having a voice and we're speaking up to um, this type of injustice in our world today. Thank, thank you for sharing that. I think as a leader, you know, we kind of have this, you know, we, we kind of get to catapult that that ability for people to speak up and speak out. You know, sometimes people feel like if they speak up or speak out, they're gonna be criticized or, um, you know, looked at differently or treated wrong or, you know, maybe get fired sometimes. So. I think we as leaders, we're in a really 
a good position to model that speaking of um, conversations when need be so that we can continue again um, in that unified direction. I'm going to move to Simone. Miss <laughs> um, Simone, sorry. Sure. I, I echo with the panel here and share their sentiments, even with Dr. Apollo, who my mother was is from the West Indies, U.S. Virgin Islands, U.S. Territory. And I remember hearing about, oh, does your mother have a green card? You know, so even that aspect and Dr. Apollo is listening to you that I was like, oh, yeah. So and I say, oh, yeah, because this has impacted me on so many levels. And I think for anyone, it's, it's, it's a multi-layer feeling that's just resonating inside. And that's what has happened with me. I, be, beyond what the panel has said, what has happened for me is that now I'm taking inventory on a posture that I've been trained to, to take, which is being silent, even though if you're over by a water cooler, let's say, you have the conversation with those that are Black. And so now we're facing a place where, no, there is no water cooler talk. There's no conversation like that. We're working remote. So now you're expected to come in and when you want to do a recap over the weekend and you hear the different stories to nobody's fault, you know, how do I say, well, this weekend, you know, I was glued to the to the tube. You know, I'm, I'm pissed off. This is the whole weekend. We had something planned, but we really got together as a family and we're talking about what is happening. And then in the midst of that, now to take off that hat to say, OK, what fun activity did I have? And there was none. There, there was none. So I became angry and I, I went through the sadness. And this time it was a matter of, okay, so how do I, which is interesting because again, that training, that subtle training that's taken place, how do I make George Floyd's death not okay, but how do I say something must have happened? Because that's been the conditioning that has taken place. And as much as I'm watching and I'm, I'm looking at as a nurse, you see how the respirations are becoming more and more labored. You're seeing it. And so what's going to be the excuse now that I'm going to have to listen to of why his life should have been taken? And there was none. So I'm pissed off because no matter what, it's almost like I have to set myself up for even if the cops are arrested, they're not going to be convicted. And so it doesn't just stop at the act. It's like everything else that you're going to have to be impacted by because we know the history of the injustice on others. And I know it gets tricky, but for me, I have really been exploring the, the deconditioning that has been built within me and not only within myself, Black people, but then also with white people, with everyone. because. This is something that has been, a, to me, it has been something that has been set up to make sure that we understand this is the place of how we are to navigate when this happens. And so it's just an awakening for me. My silence is no more. And I am just encouraging myself to continue 
to educate beyond the news channel of my choice, beyond a newspaper or the internet of my choice, but to try to capture everything just firsthand or unedited so I can truly begin to educate myself. Nothing is hidden from me anymore. Thank you. Thank you, Simone. Latasha, did you have something to add? Yes, um, you know, and I definitely agree with everything that everyone has said. Um, you know, for years, you continue to suppress your feelings personally, professionally. Um, but for some reason with this situation, I feel super empowered to do something, no longer sweeping it underneath the rug. Um, you know, it, it makes me think about where we are as a nation um, and also how far we still have to go. You know, I, I think what affects me the most are the comments from people who feel like these concerns are invalid or not worth addressing. You know, we all have different experiences and it's really disheartening when things like this, they're, you know, dismissed. Um, I think social media does play a huge role in this. You know, I'm from a small town in South Carolina and to see some of the comments from people who I've grown up with, you know, it just kind of, stirs a different emotion within you when you see that that's how they truly feel about these type of things. Um, you know, you just see different perspectives and it's just overwhelming. And, you know, especially when you've personally experienced it or witnessed these unfortunate circumstances, um, going back to what someone said earlier about being that nurse who's in charge, you're going in to speak to a family and they don't take you seriously. Um, that's happened to me several times, not only because I'm black, but I'm black and, you know, I'm a millennial, so I look really young. Uh, so, you know, that's just another challenge to kind of push through. That's a great perspective. Diamond or Whitney, we haven't heard from either of you. Would you like to contribute anything to this question? Hey, this is Diamond. I echo the panel. Um, I think the hardest thing for me to experience in watching this video and I've only watched it once um, was just hearing him call out for his mother mm. and knowing that I'm raising a black son and have, having to have these conversations with him starting when he was six years old and wanting to play outside with his friends and you can't play with that water gun like they play with the water gun. And just, it's overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it can really, really put you in a place where you feel like you can't come back from it. Um, and you don't know, you know, the right things to say to people. You want to talk about it, but you don't want to upset anyone else um, and have your feelings be broadcast because you know as nurses we're supposed to be the strongest of the strong and nobody's mm -hmm. supposed to really know what you're truly feeling you're supposed to be able to handle it all and process it all and and do do the most because what are we we're heroes right um mm -hmm. so that's been really hard for me just trying to navigate that for for my family it's been difficult thank you for that that's Talking about that call for his mom, that that definitely was heartbreaking, and I and I I certainly felt that. 
when he called that, called his mom out. Certainly think about my son. Um, thank you, Diamond, for um, reflecting on that. Ms. Whitney, did you want to share? I did. Thank you all for having me here um, today. This is such a pleasure, and I really appreciate um, this panel being put together and um, the platform to be able to express ourselves and really get our voices heard within the organization. Um, for me personally, um, I would say the last few weeks have truly been a struggle, honestly. Um, you know, just those that daily, I, I saw something on LinkedIn where one of our um, uh, African-American men here in the organization said it's a daily mask um, that you have to put on. And it's been hard to put that daily mask on with everything that's going on, especially for me. I um, am new in the department that I'm in now, um, and I'm, I'm out of my comfort zone. Um, you know, I'm not with, you know, my same peer group that I, and colleagues that I was with, you know, for years, um, you know, that I would feel comfortable really expressing myself and really being able to to vent and, you know, to strategize with my peers. And so being somewhere new um, has certainly been um, an elephant, elephant in the room type situation. Um, I feel myself, you know, constantly analyzing the microaggressions that, that go on day to day, whether you're at work or whether you're outside of work. And, you know, when you're at work, you, you've got a badge. And when you're at work, you can say, oh, well, you know, I'm the, the leader of this department or I do this within the organization. But outside of these walls, you're not wearing a badge and you're just another black person and so you know um it's been very frustrating and then um just like diamond mentioned um you know raising a black son um you know it, it's super hard and i i saw something that said that all mothers were summoned regardless of race um, when george floyd called out for mama during that time so this has certainly empowered me to um really you know, want to do something really um, to be a change agent, um, not only for, um, you know, my colleagues and for my peers, but really for my son, you know, because this, you know, next generation is, is going to be tough, but I think that we're moving in the, the right direction. Um, this is certainly something that I don't want the momentum to stop. You know, I think we've had incidences similar to George Floyd um, in the past, but I think, you know, this, this, we've never, we didn't talk about, we didn't have a panel that I know of in the organization to discuss, you know, when Trayvon Martin was killed or when um, there's so many names, I can't even really, you know, spit one off the top of my head. But, you know, we've never had this before where we've been able to come together and use our, our voice and um, be encouraged to do so. So I'm very hopeful. I'm not going to be pessimistic about this like I've been in the past. You know, when something happens, you know, it's a, a hashtag. It's something that, you know, you'll deal with for a couple of weeks and, you know, you may hear it, you know, the, the person's name again, the victim's name again, and, you know, there may be a, a GoFundMe or some type of, you know, charitable fund put up, and then, you know, six months later, it's happened again, um, and it's happened to someone else, and so um, I really want to, you know, maximize and, and optimize uh, my platform during this time, but, you know, just to echo off everyone else, it's been truly difficult, and it's been very hard, um, and I think, you know, um, I think I'm tired at this point. Uh, usually I'm, you know, usually I'm able to 
to show my resilience, and I <laughs> dubbed myself at one point Queen of Resiliency. Um, you know, whenever I'm going through things, but lately I've I've been tired, and I've I've reached that point where you know we've got to do something, and you know I really want to be a champion for change during this time. I think what's interesting to Whitney's point is that you know you have that six month gap, right? So you have that roller coaster effect of emotions. However, this, in a sense, was like the perfect storm, unfortunately, at the expense of Black people being killed and being killed unjustly. Uh, when we speak about Breonna Taylor as well, Ahmad also. So there was no, there was no roller coaster effect. It's like, it's like, bam, one, two, three, and then to on compounded is that how long ago events were taking place and in a sense, it was swept under the rug. So it was now this perfect storm coming together to just shed light. And it it, it caused that type of provoke now that, again, we can no longer be silent. So I believe the perfect storm, unfortunately, at the expense of, of life, um, has a, has created this platform for, that we're facing and, and trying to articulate today. Simone, I think um, I think you're right. I heard it. I heard one young lady describe it as the law of accumulation, like it's finally just too much for us all to bear, which may feel hurtful for our nurses of color to hear, because you may feel like white people were ignoring it till now. But now we're all joining in in the fight. But it, it, at least if something good can happen and we can keep this momentum going and this conversation going, I think there's value there. And I feel compelled to point out that at the moment we're doing this recording right now, there's actually the funeral going on of uh, Richard Brooks, who mm -hmm. since Mr. Floyd's murder was also um, killed in a in a encounter with police officers. So even though, you know, things feel a little different right now, the problem persists. And, and I saw on the news this weekend about a noose found hanging in the garage of Bubba. Uh, I don't know. He's a race car driver. Bubba oh, Wallace. Yes. Oh, Wallace. 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 I knew it was a good race car sounding name. But <laughs> uh, I mean, it's just, you know, as, as much good as coming of it, there's still such problem yeah. and hatred still out there. So I think the conversation has to continue. I think we all have to take action on that. That can be an action that we all commit to. Um, I was going to ask another question, keep this dialogue going, but um, does the climate right now and what is happening in our communities have an impact on how we're dealing with patients and families? And I don't know who wants to open us up, but Sedone, I'm going to call on you to get us started. Sure. Thank you so much, Stephanie. Um, I definitely feel, uh, you know, everything that we're facing, um, it does impact our how we care for our families and how we care for, for patients coming in. I, I think what it is, is that, you know, in addition to, um, you know, patients of color coming into our hospital setting, they're coming in in addition with what we're facing, with that anxiety, that fear. And so, you know, the, the level of anxiety and really getting the ability to communicate with them effectively and really even, you know, we have a pandemic you know, from a health perspective, we're in a health crisis, which is affecting our minorities of color. And so in addition to that, we've now, um, th this have been added, which is just a compounding effect of 
a health crisis as well as a racial crisis in our country all at once. And so having to think through how do you care for patients um, and, and make sure that they're heard, I think that's definitely something that we're facing now. And, you know, we're going to have to learn to communicate differently. We're going to have to be patient. And, you know, with things moving so rapidly, it, it is going to require all of us to pause and really respect what these our patients are going through. You know, I think also in our community, when we take that badge off, yes, we, we still have Atrium, you know, um, as an organization that we work with. But when you're in that, that community, it's taken a different stance to be that voice and to, um, you know, be that advocate for what you see that's wrong and, and being able to speak up. So I think it's compounded for us as teammates as we go into our, our communities on how we approach things differently as well. I agree with Sedone. I think um, as, as a community, Black people are typically mistrustful of the healthcare system already. So whenever they're encountering us, there's already a wall built up to above their head because they don't really trust that we're going to do things in their best interest. And when people don't really trust you um, or feel like they can't really depend on you to meet their needs or um, trust what they're saying to us is true, uh, it heightens their anxiety. So their, their reactions to us are going to be to lash out. And I think as a healthcare professional and also as a person of color, being able to recognize that and try to diffuse that situation um, for our patients as well as their families is going to be beneficial to us all. I think having us um, as well as our white colleagues recognize that and not be dismissive of that and say, this patient is just not compliant, they're being rude, they're being uh, disrespectful to me. We have to do a better job of being able to emotionally relate to people. Um, and that starts with us. It, it really truly starts with us as healthcare professionals. We have to be able to recognize, I mean, we went to school for, for this, we, they taught us this in psychology 101, right? That we have to really pay attention and recognize those signs in patients where they are, are lashing out because they are, are fearful. Um, so I think it's incumbent upon us to, if, if we have colleagues that say things like that to our patients or say that at, when they're in the nursing station, they're just being X, Y, Z. I think it's incumbent upon us to take that person aside and, and talk to them because how else are people going to learn if we don't step up to that challenge and bring them to the fold? Um, it, it's easy for us to be dismissive and, and try to, you know, not pay that person any attention and try to help the patient as much as we possibly can, but we can't do that in this time and age. How are we ever going to be able to move forward if we don't show and teach each other how? Diamond, thanks for bringing that up. That's a really ex excellent point. And I feel like um, sometimes people don't know how to react when they're witnessing something. And I, Akira, I saw you nodding your head in agreement to what Diamond was saying. Did you have anything you wanted to add? I did. Um, I completely think Diamond is, she's spot on with her comments. And I do just want to mention that probably more now than ever, um, 
it's important for nurses to be culturally competent beyond religious beliefs and food preferences. You know, Diamond brought up the fact of mistrust. That's huge. You can find research article after research article about it and how it impact, impacts compliance and, and patient outcomes. And do, do most of our nurses know about that? Um, so I think also increasing our, com our compassion and, and going above and beyond for our patients is also important that we are more now than ever educating ourselves. You know, as, my, as Black nurses, we know because it's our community, but we also know that the majority that's at the bedside are not black nurses. So how are they educated enough? Do they have the correct resources? Do they know, you know, we, we hear that they don't know what to say. So how do we how do we help to bridge that gap to give them the education that they need to care for the patients in the way they need to be cared for? Yeah, I would like to add also that the idea of racism is it's systemic, right? Um, this is not just an issue of police brutality. There's a lot of racism that happens in the economic world, whether it's in the banking system, in the housing uh, market, um, and it spills over into the healthcare system. So we are not immune to that. Um, what I think is um, sad is that we have fooled that when we're behind the walls of the hospital, we're all caring, we're all compassionate, and we all treat every patient the same way. And that's hardly the case. Um, I think there's implicit bias. And as many of them, many of the panelists have alluded to, there's research that suggests that when you have uh, a physician and a patient of the same background, the interaction is much more likely to be more positive than when you have, for example, a white physician with a black patient, particularly the disenfranchised uh, populations, right? And that's because there's this notion of either, you know, our literacy rates are not as good. We're not gonna understand what everything, what's gonna be explained to us. So we're not given all the information that we need to make the best decisions. Um, there's the whole idea of the angry black man or angry black woman. So the way caregivers approach uh, people of color is different from the way they would approach uh, those who are not people of color. So yes, it spills over into the healthcare system. And the other piece I wanna bring into discussion is also social media. I mean, right now, if you go out into social media, there are postings everywhere on Facebook, Twitter, of healthcare workers who actually come out in public and say, I cannot stand my black patients. I cannot, you know, I don't care about, and, and we're not talking, maybe atrium, patient, atrium teammates, or it may be just healthcare workers in general, right? So if a healthcare worker can actually have the audacity to post that in social media with their RN badge with them and saying, I cannot stand black patients, I cannot stand you know, caring for minorities, they're all this and all that, it tells you that there is something in us, innately in us as human beings that only we can take care of, right? And all of that starts with calling people out, holding people accountable, educating people, and not fooling ourselves that just because we signed the oath of caring for people that we're all nice people. Uh, the truth is there's a lot of hatred in within us for whatever reasons, 
And it's going to take an act of just acknowledging and accepting and having these conversations and calling people out when they do things that are not um, appropriate for us to be able to actually say that we do care for our patients equally. But until then, um, let us not be fooled that this is not happening behind our walls at Atrium Health. It's real. It's happening across the nation. And we now have an opportunity to really figure out a way to tackle that so that we can impact, you know, our patient outcomes in a more positive way. Hi, this is Whitney. I just wanted to um, just kind of bring up, so the point about, you know, um, patient care and how this impacts patient care um, with everything that's going on, I also want us to consider, too, our, our fellow teammates that are of color and how we can take care of them. You know, even if, you you know, we don't know them well, you know, we still have to, we're still a, a familiar face because they look like us, too, and so, um, that's something over, I would say, over the last couple of weeks that I've just been, you know, whether it be, it be a, a young black man in the hall that, you know, works, you know, within another department, you know, I just take the time out to say, how are you doing today? Are you having a good day? Is there anything that I can do for you? And just letting them know that, you know, I care about you. Um, you know, I know, you know, there's times when people just feel alone. Um, and I've noticed, um, you know, at times, you know, some of my black teammates are, you know, sitting by themselves and, you know, they're silent. And so I've, you know, been trying to forcibly, you know, make conversation um, and, you know, just offer them a listening ear. Sometimes someone just wants to be acknowledged. And so um, that's something that I've truly and consciously been trying to do um, over the last week or so. And um, like I said earlier, I just feel like this is all in some parts an, an elephant in the room, but it, it, you know, we need to discuss it. We need to be having these crucial conversations and we need to be discussing what, um, you know, implicit bias is because a lot of people don't know. We need to be talking about, you know, what microaggressions are because a lot of people don't know. And, you know, we've got to use this as a time um, to educate. Um, and we spend so much time together at work and, um, you know, almost as much as we do when we're, we're at home, when we're um, more than we do when we're at home. And so, you know, this is a wonderful opportunity that we have. But, um, you know, again, we've got to we've got to take care of one another, too, um, and just, you know, be a listening ear, be a shoulder to cry on and um, and really just take care of our own during this time as well and, and educate those that, that want to know how we feel that that may not know what to say and how to address us or how to, um, you know, go about listening without um, truly listening, without commenting sometimes. I know I've had conversations, um, you know, in the past about racial injustices and immediately, you know, I've had, you know, um, colleagues just, you know, quick to jump and say, well, this is justified for this or, you know, if this person would have complied or, or whatever the situation may be, but um, mm -hmm. just learning how to truly listening, truly listen um, in this moment. Thank you. And, and we actually have a, a guest that's just joined us and I wanted to give him an opportunity to speak. Fernando Little is here and he's actually our chief diversity officer for Atrium Health and he's been listening to this conversation and wanted to give him a moment um, to have the mic and hear what he has to say. I will have to tell you that I have been just in, moved in a, in a very good way by not only your 
truth because that's your right and you should be speaking your truth, but also uh, the leadership disposition that you've taken to try to move this forward and move the organization forward uh, and be examples in moving the organization forward. So let me just say thank you uh, for motivating me. I you know the, the, your DNI office have had long days here recently, right? I'm gonna be real with you. It's been some long yeah. days, and so to hear you all, um, and 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 to hear um, how you're motivating yourselves and how you're staying strong and how you're encouraging yourself, and especially when Whitney's talking about hope, the last thing we can do is lose hope, right? Hopelessness is the enemy to justice, and so if there's no hope. We're not going to find justice for these lives lost and these families. So I'm glad that you all mentioned that. There's a couple of things I wanted to comment on. I heard the around patient care. Wanted to make sure you all knew that it was a priority for the Office of Diversity and Inclusion to sponsor culturally competent education care delivery. And so we have a tool out there called Culture Vision, and that tool helps nurses and providers and clinicians that maybe has never taken care of a Muslim patient before or a patient from India before to know what their cultural norms are, what their traditions are, what their cultural preferences are around communication so that people that are um, maybe ignorant to that culture or have not learned that culture, they have a resource that can walk them through that and it's rooted in care delivery practices. So I definitely wanted to just talk about culture vision and making sure that our teammates know about that. Also, you mentioned unconscious bias. That's something that you're gonna see us continue to push from a DNI perspective. We actually invited Mazrin Banaji, who is um, the author and creator of the Implicit Associations tool and the book, uh, Blind Spots of Good People. She uh, helped introduce us to how we can address and mitigate unconscious biases as an organization. And we're going to continue to push that because you're right. People have blind spots that they don't know about. Some of them do know about it. Let's be real, but some people don't. And so it's our obligation as an organization to help them unpack those biases so that they don't show up in decisions and in patient care decisions and how you communicate. And so that is something that you're going to see more work around. And if you're interested in unpacking your own unconscious bias, we can help. We can help this group too. Another body of work that we're going to introduce is called bystander apathy, because what you said is sometimes we're bystanders in this um, discriminatory behavior or this uh, racially motivated behavior and we don't know what to do to interrupt it, right? We don't know. We see it and it hurts our heart, but we don't have an algorithm or a formula to follow to, follow to say, how am I going to say something? Now, some of you do. I see it in some of you. I've been watching you. <laughs> some of you got it. But some of us, yeah, and I was thinking about you, Simone. You laughing at yourself. I was thinking about you. <laughs> but some people, some people need that extra guidance around, okay, what do I do in this moment? Give me step one, two, and three. Don't give me a complicated, you know, intervention thing. I don't have time for that. Give me a step one, a step two, and a step three that I can interrupt this, what's going on. And so that's something you're going to see in July coming from the Office of Diversity and Inclusion. How do we deal with bystander apathy? How do we get rid of that and empower teammates to get ahead of some of this behavior? Um, 
We are also moving to diversify our workforce demographics. You all talked about, you know, patient concordance and how some patients are comfortable or, or, or feel more comfortable when they see providers that look like them. Uh, it is important that our workforce reflect the communities that we serve. You've heard that, right? And so we've got to make sure that our workforce uh, and, and our recruitment, and thankfully you got one of the senior leaders of recruitment on this call and Apollo, but we're going to continue to partner to make sure that our strategies are such that not only um, at the bedside in nursing, but in leadership, that our workforce demographics reflect the communities that we serve. That's just really huge. And then my last comment, Stephanie, thank you for telling, I know you're saying he's not going to be quiet, but the last comment <laughs> that I wanted to make was around <laughs> social media. Some of this foolishness that we're seeing on social media is absolutely ridiculous. And so you will see an announcement coming out from the organization reminding us of our social media policy, but also reminding teammates that, you know, if you carry the atrium badge and you wear it, you don't wear it from 7 to 7, 7P to 7A or 7, you wear it 24, you know, and so your social media response has to reflect our mission. It doesn't take away your free speech amendment, right? But we're all aligned by a mission a mission for health, hope, and healing for all. And by virtue of you being a teammate at Atrium, you're expected to abide by that mission at work and away from work. And so if there is something posted and you can be connected to Atrium and it doesn't align with our mission, then you're out of policy and we got to do something about it. Does that make sense? So hopefully everybody is cool with that. I just want to say that again, encouraged by this, um, I want you all to continue to stay strong and be encouraged. This conversation sharing has definitely helped me and just know Office of DNI is here to support you. I'm going to go back on mute, but thank you for letting me talk. <laughs> thank you, Fernando, and thank you for joining us today. This conversation will continue in part two of Health, Hope and Healing for All. We'll have more conversations with our nurses of color next month.